This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, this is Inside Story with Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, continuing our mini-series on 2023 resolutions we want our ministries to achieve, we're looking at the Ministry of Finance. First, we look at our economic policy and what sort of reforms are needed there. And then later on, we discuss what we'd like to see in the revised budget. So tell us, what should the Finance Ministry prioritise in 2023? Call 77332900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and of course it is um, not really new information that our Prime Minister is also doubling up as our Finance Minister, Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim, uh, with deputies Dato Sri Ahmad Maslan as well as Stephen Sim. And I don't think it's overstating matters to say that this portfolio, more than most others, um, really has a lot to uh, work on and deal with in the coming years because... uh, Globally, we're facing a recession. 2023 is touted to be um, a tough year all around. There's a 25% chance of the the global GDP growing by less than 2%, which then defines it as, of course, a global recession. Now, uh, this is multiple factors, of course, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which has impacted the cost of fertilizer, animal feed, grains. Uh, It's caused volatility in the oil markets as well. Uh, Meanwhile, China's economy is likely to grow at or be low global growth for the first time in 40 years. Um, This is following the unwinding of the zero COVID policy. That's globally. Uh, When we look at what's been happening locally, the picture isn't really any less dire. Our cost of living is rising, inflation and interest rates are rising. Our national debt exceeded $1 trillion in 2022. Uh, Meanwhile, the government has spent 78 billion ringgit on subsidies in 2022. $52 billion of those go to companies and middlemen. $26 billion go to Low income group, uh, low income groups under cash transfers, as well as other social assistance programs. Now, if we look at what we've heard from the minister so far, uh, Anwar has said that the priority for this government will be to address the rising cost of living and to ensure a sustainable economy. Um, he's also cleared up political appointees in GLCs and federal agencies. One thing that's been getting a lot of attention, he's been cutting government spending across the board, both in terms of uh, personal, uh, you know, appearances, for instance, uh, the the sort of car the prime minister might drive and all sorts of other initiatives, uh, but also in terms of reviewing approved, uh, reviewing projects that have been approved. So the finance ministry has paused, uh, paused the channeling of funds for 7 billion ringgit when it comes to flood mitigation projects. This was announced by the previous government, uh, and that's because these Uh, Some of these projects were awarded without uh, tender. Uh, And basically now any project under 50 million ringgit will now be completely handed over to Sabah and Sarawak uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the implementation, when it is when it is about that state. So. A number of things uh, that have already been announced, largely circling this notion of uh, tightening our belts, uh, ensuring sustainability, while also making sure that uh, this rising cost of living doesn't impact uh, particularly our B40 communities. Part of that, of course, is the retabling of the budget, because um, as we know, the budget was tabled last year, but it was never passed. So that's going to happen on the 24th of February. Uh, And that's, I think, will give an indication of the direction Direction that this new government intends to take when it comes to our economy and our expenditure. So lots to unpack, really, when it comes to resolutions for the finance ministry. We will be joined after this by Dr. Jeffrey Williams, who is uh, an economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. But in the meantime, send your thoughts through what should the finance ministry prioritize in the coming year? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM eighty nine point nine. 
the business station. It's 6.12. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we're continuing our resolutions for the various ministries today. Um, Today's focus is the finance ministry. So we are asking you, what should they prioritize in 2023? You can call 77332900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. Jeffrey, always good to have you with us. Hello. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to you too. Let's start with uh, a general overview of the country's finances as well as what the outlook is like for the coming year. Well, I think that uh, you you summarised it quite well uh, just before the ad. Uh, it wasn't particularly positive, I have to say, in many ways, but I think it was quite a, a realistic uh, summation of what, what we had in 2022. Uh, and uh, so what will we have in 2023? Well, I think it will be very, rather different uh, in many ways. I think the first thing, of course, is that during last year, we had really rather tremendous uh, economic growth, extraordinary economic growth in many ways. Um, uh, 8.9% in the second quarter, 14.2% in the third quarter. We haven't got the final quarter yet, but for the year as a whole, it will be about 8% for uh, 2022. We won't see that um, during 2023 because the growth last year was due to uh, a number of special reasons. First, we were recovering, of course, from um, COVID. The second is that the economy was opening up, so there was more activities. And the third is that there was a big pre-election push uh, in terms of government spending. Um, those things will go away during 2023. So we must uh, be prepared to see lower economic growth, but not to be worried about that, because actually it's really a sign that um, the economy is moving back to normal rates of economic growth between four and 5%. And these are more sustainable, actually. And there will be uh, a number of reasons why we will be slowing in terms of the economy, partly because we, we won't replicate the big growth from uh, last year, but also because Malaysia being uh, an open economy, um, we'll have to deal with some headwinds in in what's happening in other parts of the world. Um, My general view is that we will weather that um, quite well, and that although we will see a slowdown in economic growth, um, we we probably will avoid a, um, a, a recession um, uh, perhaps a technical recession, but certainly not um, uh, anything worse than that. Um, and I, I think on the, the more positive side, uh, in terms of inflation, we are seeing inflation coming down from the peak. Um, and we will expect that inflation will continue to slow. Of course, that doesn't mean that prices will go down. It just means that the rate at which they are rising um, will slow down. And that should mean that things will become more affordable for very many people. Um, And I think the third thing that we will see is that we have a new unity government. They have a a, a very different um, agenda. And we have to wait, actually, um, for the budget uh, at the end of February, February 24th, in order to see exactly what they have planned for us. Um, But I expect that that budget will be um, more moderate than we've seen um, before and much more focused on cost of living, Um, issues more focused on um, structural reform. So taking all of those things together, these are the key highlights that we'll be looking for in 2023, a very different um, scenario to 2020. So global recession is really uh, appearing in a number of headlines already. um, And that really appears to be a large concern when it comes to 2023. How is this going to impact Malaysia and how much will this influence the direction that our policy uh, policies might take when it comes to finances and economy? Well, Malaysia is exposed, of course, um, to international developments, particularly in terms of trade and also in terms of um, investment. But um, Malaysia's biggest trading markets are actually here close in the region, in ASEAN. And then, of course, uh, that's the the biggest, then Singapore, then um, China. Now, both ASEAN and Singapore, in terms of our uh, exports, have been growing um, really very well. 
uh, in November, they were above 25% growth in both of those markets. China was much slower, um, but as you mentioned already, um, China is opening up now. So many people are concerned about that opening up, of course, because there are health concerns um, and we shouldn't underestimate that. But um, from an economics perspective and an investment perspective, um, that's good for Malaysia. Um, in terms of Europe and the United States, um, they are looking to, to unfortunately, I'd say they're looking forward to, <laughs> to these things. They're not looking forward to it at all. But, I mean, they are uh, facing some pretty torrid times. Um, inflation is still double digit um, in parts of Europe, certainly in the United Kingdom, still double digit. Um, and um, from you know from that perspective in the UK, the, the forecasts there are for the uh, deepest and longest recession for many, many years to decades. So for the, those big developed markets in Europe and the United States, things will be pretty rough. The IMF is estimating that about a third of the world's economy in terms of its size might experience a, a recession type um, episode. But, you know, a glass half full. That means that two thirds of the world won't. And Malaysia uh, trades with uh, many, many parts of that two thirds of the world. So although, um, as I mentioned before, we will expect slowdown um, in, in the global economy, um, I think that the Malaysian domestic economy is actually quite robust. Um, of course, there are some issues that need to be looked at um, uh, closely, but I think that Malaysia will weather the storm quite well during next year. So you said earlier that uh, this even this slowing down for us per se might actually signal more return to normalcy rather than the highs of last year. Mm. What are some signs that we should be keeping an eye on in terms of the health of our economy? We are seeing some slowdowns. I mean, we're seeing some slowdowns in industrial production, uh, which is um, it's, that's normally viewed as a, as a sort of leading indicator of the, of the economy because obviously companies take a view of what they expect demand will be in the coming months. Um, and if they, if they feel that demand is going to be turning down, obviously they produce less now. Um, because they don't feel that they're going to sell it. So we, we can see that. We can see that um, industrial production has slowed down a little bit. Um, and we need to watch that because <clears throat> we need to watch that because we, we want to provide as much support for companies um, as, as we can. And if that slowdown is too harsh, particularly if they're exporters, um, we, we might need to um, do something to help them through that phase. Um, another sign that we're slowing down is, is the rate of um, inflation. As I mentioned, it's coming up. Core inflation is actually still quite elevated, but headline inflation um, is coming down. And this is largely because some of the indicators in the headline inflation figure um, have finally started to uh, bite. I mean, the, the, the prices have been falling for, for, for some months now, but that takes some time to pass through into um, the consumer market and now we're finally seeing that pass through into the consumer market so we will need to keep an eye on that we don't want that to be too um, dramatic but of course it's it's definitely a, a positive sign so the Prime Minister and Finance Minister has said that addressing the rising cost of living is at the top of his agenda are there immediate actions that can be taken here particularly when it comes to price increases I think they've done what they can and um, uh, I don't know whether the Prime Minister listens to my advice or not, but certainly the things that I've been advising, uh, along with my colleague Pablo Casadillo, these are the things that um, we have seen. We did say that they should look at um, electricity and utility prices. They have, they have done that. Um, we have uh, suggested they look at um, subsidies reform and also structural reforms in terms of um, Market, uh, market structure in terms of monopolies and cartels and opening up the market to competition, encouraging more uh, food imports in particular to help with supplies. They've, they've done that. And uh, um, I recommended that there should be an, uh, an extension of the assistance schemes, the Bantuan schemes, and there was in the, the mini budget, which wasn't quite as mini as we thought it was going to be, but uh, there was some assistance there and that will help people with the cost of living. Those three things in the short term are about as much as you could expect reasonably. 
Um, but I think what's much more important uh, than those is the um, determination that's being shown by not just the Prime Minister himself, who is leading on it um, quite strongly, but also the other mini ministers and the civil servants who are supporting them. They, they're being quite determined to try to find solutions to help deal with the cost of living. And these are got, looking very much more like structural solutions, which again is something that um, our analysis suggested is what's needed. You can't have short-term fixes. I've said it a thousand times uh, on BFM that you can use subsidies and price controls in the short term, but not in the long term. And I think that message appears to have got across because now we're seeing very good um, signs, very good, uh, there's a very good mood music and very good story coming out of government that they are genuinely looking at structural reform and that's very positive. And it will help in terms of not just the cost of living and prices, but it will help in terms of people's jobs and it will help in terms of people's incomes. And ultimately, that's really where, what you want to focus on is the question of raising people's incomes sustainably, giving them good quality jobs uh, that pay well um, and that to help them get you know, a good balance in, in, in work-life balance. That's really what you want to focus on rather than just trying to keep things cheap. We have a message from a listener, A.W., uh, with a series of uh, suggestions, some quite, uh, I suppose, uh, radical, some might call. So I just wanted you to uh, get uh, to respond to some of these in terms of what is practical and, and, and helpful in this point of time. So A.W. says, targeted subsidies need to be done to reduce the burden to the government's coffers. We need to look to Indonesia, which has already started mandating registrations of vehicles to ensure that the rich don't abuse subsidies. GST or a more equitable way of taxing needs to be implemented, tax the rich who can afford it. Uh, for instance, if you eat in a kopitiam, the tax can be low so that it caters to the uh, B and M segments. Higher-end restaurants uh, would carry a higher tax, similar to our syntax for alcohol and tobacco. Any thoughts on things like that? Um, I, I'm very keen on subsidy reform, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I have mentioned uh, very often that apart from petrol and uh, utilities, it is very difficult to target subsidies on particular products that particular income groups um, purchase and other higher income groups don't purchase. There are very many uh, T20 people in um, copy terms. And, and uh, I, I was in one this morning with another T20 person. So I can tell you there are lots of T20 people enjoying that. So it's just that it's very difficult to target uh, the subsidies. I know that the um, civil servants are doing their best to try to find these things, but I'm, I'm, I wish them all the best. I think they're going to fail. Um, the view that I've always taken is that you must target people's incomes if you want to help them not target their, uh, not target prices. Um, the second issue on GST, um, I have advocated a great deal on holistic um, reform, holistic tax reform to look at uh, every possibility for raising government revenue. The reason we want to raise government revenues is to give the government more space, more scope to do the things that are important from an economics perspective and a social perspective, uh, investment perspective. So it's not just, uh, you, you can't just introduce GST and expect a quick fix. I think that that may well be part of the solution, but we need a holistic um, reform. Um, I know that some people have been advocating quite harsh, uh, hardly, uh, but quite pushing quite hard on GST reform. I'm not against it, but I think that we're, we're just not sure what the rate should be. We're just not sure um, what how the systems should be in place. It, it needs a little bit more time. And I think it, it's worth spending the time and putting it in the context of holistic tax reform, which includes taxes on household incomes and taxes on companies as well. I do wholly agree with the, the questioner that we do need to look at equity in terms of taxes as well as just the economic efficiency of it. Equity is a very important uh, component, but that takes a little bit of time. And it looks to me, certainly um, Rafizi Ramli was mentioning today, it looks to me like that's very high uh, on his agenda at the economics ministry. 
Jeffrey, uh, we will continue our conversation <clears throat> after this. Uh, but in the meantime, what should the Finance Ministry prioritise in 2023? Uh, do send your thoughts in. What would you like to see uh, done for our economy? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're getting plenty of thoughts and opinions already, so keep them coming. And we will continue our conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Williams after this. So if you have questions that you'd like to put to him, send those through as well. Once again, that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. It's 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and we're continuing our 2023 resolutions for ministries uh, by looking at the finance ministry today. And we'd like to hear from you. What should be prioritised when it comes to our economy? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. Jeffrey, so um, we have seen the Prime Minister put measures in place uh, when it comes to government expenditure. So, for instance, salary cuts, saying no to new cars. Um, uh, declining large-scale government events. How helpful are these sorts of frugalities in the context of major government spending? Uh, they're not. <laughs> they're not. They're not helpful at all. But I think they do tend to see they uh, they, they signal um, a sense of purpose, really, and they also signal that the prime minister is um, focusing on the big things and uh, not not interested in the. the, the Grand, you know the, the grandeur of the of his position. So from that perspective, again, it's a bit as I was mentioning earlier. It's it's a bit of mood mood music. That in that sense, it's important because it signals your intention. But in terms of pounds, pence, or uh, ringgit and sen, it doesn't really save a great deal of money. Um, although there is a um, a perspective in in economics called uh, paperclip savings and paperclip savings if applied across the whole of the civil service can actually um, save quite a lot of money so if these type of things were applied in every department every ministry um, in every part of the government um, you might be able to achieve savings of uh, anywhere up to five percent or more so if they were determined in these ways then yes but it'd be i think it would be a little bit more than um, not buying batik and not having uh, food at events. You'd have to do a little bit more than that. But uh, generally speaking, it, yeah, uh, it's it's it signals a, uh, an intent, but it doesn't say that much more. Well, he has also talked about reviewing approved projects, um, talking about the national debt that has exceeded a trillion ringgit. What's going to be the impact of this on rolling back uh, projects and detecting potential leakages? All right, so I think there are two things there. One is rolling back of um, projects. I think the strategy that was adopted, um, again, it's, it's, it's one that I, I had felt was, a, was, a, was the best strategy. It's not so much about stopping um, existing projects, particularly if the projects are already underway. It's more about looking at projects which can be um, delayed, that is that they're not urgent, um, uh, that projects that um, could be reviewed in terms of the contract in order to um, get a better deal, uh, and then contracts which actually are, are not necessary. So it, you have to remember, you know, when you have these large contracts, they are announced very many uh, months, sometimes years in advance before they actually get off the ground. So when we say some of these projects will be um, scrapped or some of them will be delayed or some of them will be reviewed, uh, many of them hadn't even started. So in that sense, it, it wouldn't have a, a particularly big immediate impact. Um, uh, but it, it would be part of the rebalancing and restructuring in terms of the long-term budget. We have a message from Siu Eng, uh, who's referring uh, to something you said earlier about how incomes ultimately are what need to be raised. And Siu Eng says, I was just thinking the results may be encouraging so far in terms of overall economic growth, but how is that being achieved? Our paltry minimum wage is not even enforced across the board. How many households are being negatively affected by that? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I, well, I have some quite, uh, I have some quite clear thoughts on that. If, we, if you want to hear them, I will be very happy to tell you what my thoughts on Absolutely. that are. Absolutely. 
Uh, I think it's a disgrace. I think it's a national disgrace that um, the minimum wage is not being introduced. Um, and the reason for that is that it makes poor people even poorer. And uh, that's really not a good sign. Uh, secondly, it sends out a very bad um, sign in terms of international markets. You, you know, you, you, you announce a policy to bring Malaysian's labor standards into line with international standards, and then uh, you don't implement it. And it suggests, you know, what is, what is the strength of the rule of law there? And also, I think it's actually bad for businesses because businesses who don't take advantage of increasing the minimum wage are just going to find that other companies will and they're, they're going to lose their employees. And good, they should. They should. Here's my advice, anyone listening on the minimum wage, if your company doesn't raise your salary on the minimum wage, leave, leave that company now, go find another job because that type of employer isn't the type of employer that you should be working for. Now, in terms of what um, the questioner was saying, uh, how, how many people are affected by this? We don't quite know. In many instances, it would have been the foreign workers who were mostly paid uh, minimum wage. Then many of them are, uh, have gone, uh, and, but they're just slowly coming back. But in terms of Malaysians, it might, it might be as many as uh, 1.8, perhaps 2 million people. And so that is a very large number of people. In terms of the number of companies that would be affected by that, it is very big because the, 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 the implementation has been delayed for companies with five workers or less. These are called micro enterprises. And these account for 78% of Malaysian companies. Actually, it's, it's 1.1 million companies. So um, that is, it's actually not a small change. It's actually a very big change. And uh, as I mentioned just a moment ago, the upshot of this changes to keep poor people poor. And that's not a good start. So let's talk about subsidies, right? Uh, Malaysia spent almost 80 billion ringgit in subsidies last year, but only one third of this had a direct benefit to the B40 community. Now, Anwar has said that these subsidies shouldn't be given to multinational companies and corporations. Do you expect him to follow through on cuts to these companies? Yes, I do. And I think he's right to say that. Um, the, 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 the way a subsidy works is that prices rise in the market but they, are, they become too high for people to, to buy the product. So the government um, gets the companies to charge a lower price and the difference is paid to the company. It's paid to the company, that's what the subsidy is. It's a, an amount that's paid to the company to keep the price in the market lower. So essentially, um, you know, when you're talking about that one third in welfare support and two thirds in direct transfers to companies, that's, that's the case. It's 56 billion ringgit, which is going directly to companies. Um, and that's a problem, in my view, uh, firstly, because it's very large. And secondly, because it doesn't deal with the welfare aim of the subsidy in the first place. Um, it's much better to allow the prices to float. That is to remove the subsidy, remove the price controls, allow the market to find the right price. And then to use this money to help to support people's incomes so that they can um, choose or not whether they want to buy the products at the higher prices. Clearly, there are some essential products um, where they don't have very much choice. Uh, we've also spoken about this uh, on BFM. Um, but those um, have always been price controlled, actually. We talk about price control in chicken, for example. But if we look at many of the components of the consumer price index, up to 30 or 40% of the components of the consumer price index um, had been price controlled anyway, so that wouldn't have really changed. So the, it is important to deal with the subsidies issue, and part of that is the efficiency. Too much of it is wasted and could be used for other things. The other part is uh, equity. Uh, companies that can afford to pay it, large companies that can afford um, to, um, to, to go without the subsidies should go without the subsidies, in my view. And um, in terms of the electricity um, tariff, I think that's uh, what you're talking about there in terms of large companies paying and mm. smaller companies not. Um, actually, it's 98%, isn't it? 98% of all companies will not um, be affected by the increase in the tariff. So these multinationals and large companies are very few in number, and they probably could afford these, um, these price changes anyway.
So we did um, talk about targeted subsidies earlier. And in fact, uh, Anwar has asked government departments to come up with a sustainable way to implement targeted subsidies. Do you see these being implemented in the near future here? Uh, well, uh, there's a, there's a, the question is, <clears throat> will they be implemented? Well, un- unfortunately, we might see it. Will they work? They won't. They won't work. So um, you see, let's put it uh, sort of straightforwardly. If targeted subsidies work, we would have had them during the course of the last three years because we had the two years of lockdowns and then a year in 2022 recovering from the lockdowns. Um, and all the way through that period, we've had a great deal of uh, discussion about targeted subsidies. The reason we don't have them is they're very difficult. It's just really very difficult to establish how to implement such a scheme. And also in terms of the target, I think we discussed it before, didn't we, on evening edition, we discussed this issue directly about targeted subsidies. Mm. Um, and I don't think that the extra month or so that he's given the civil servants is going to change that situation. If, if they had if they had plans uh, in the, in the drawer, uh, they would have pulled the plans out of the drawer and, and given them to him straight away. I, I just don't think they have the plans, not because of any lack of capacity on the part of the civil servants, just because it is very hard. It's very hard to identify which products should and which products shouldn't be subsidized and then to make that work in an effective way. So we've been asking for, uh, we're asking our listeners for suggestions and comments as well. And Nurhan um, has brought up more funding for SMEs. Uh, and, and in fact, SMEs, of course, have been calling for more government support. What do you think would be most helpful on that front? I think the thing that will help SMEs most is, is when the market starts to recover, their customers start to come back in a sustainable way. And uh, so anything that the government can do to help to support um, consumer demand in particular, uh, not all SMEs, of course, are selling to consumers, but consumer demand in particular, um, that's going to help SMEs. Um, one of the biggest th- problems that SMEs have, of course, is cash flow. Um, that's really um, a, a tough issue for uh, SMEs. And um, if, uh, if the government can do something to help the SMEs with their cash flow, um, that would uh, help them get through the difficult periods until the economy is properly um, recovered. You need to speak to William Ung about this because he's the guy who tell, he, he will tell you very clearly what SMEs need. And uh, I think if the government can follow his advice, they wouldn't be going too far wrong. Now, we are going to be getting into this with our next guest in more detail, uh, Budget 2023, the, the revised budget rather. But what do you expect this post-election budget to look like? Well, it's quite interesting, actually, um, because it looks like it will be really um, very different to the budget we saw in October. The reason I say that is that it's been delayed until February, and that means that they've had a very long period to uh, rethink and restructure. Uh, Also, of course, they will have to accommodate the um, different uh, manifestos of the new unity government parties. Uh, They're going through that exercise now. So I think what we will see in the in the budget in February is less of the handouts that we saw in the October um, version. Um, I think it will be much more focused. I think it will be focused on um, cost of living will be number one. Number two, I think will it will be focused on improving revenues and the um, sustainability of government revenues. I think there will be a focus on efficiency and, and cutting out waste particularly cutting out um, corruption. Um, And I think that there will be a focus on structural reform, long-term structural reform. And so it will look and feel very different to the one we saw uh, in October. And just in closing, we've largely been talking about um, immediate term measures that we'd like to see for 2023, but how will the efforts in this year set the course for Malaysia's long-term economic growth? Well, it, we have to wait um, for the budget. You, you can't change the world with a single budget, um, but you can lay the foundations um, for um, structural reform. I, th- I think that all of the manifestos um, of the new unity government had elements of long-term structural reform. And so that's quite positive. Um, what I would like to see is, on the one hand, freeing up of the market, supply-side reforms, removing regulations, creating more competition and greater agility. 
supporting the SMEs that we just mentioned a moment ago, anything that's positive in, in that sort of um, sense of uh, revitalizing economic growth. But then also, I think that on the other side, looking at some of the structural issues that we have come, uh, we, we still have hanging over from the lockdowns. And uh, I think pensions, of course, is something that needs to be handled you know, as a structural problem. Um, I think that the funding of higher education is something that needs to be looked at from a structural problem. Tax reform and tax equity, as we discussed, is something that needs to be looked at from a structural perspective. Um, and also, I think changing the labor market and improving things such as participation, uh, particularly um, participation for women, and that uh, means allowing greater flexibility in the labor market, better options for people to earn. Um, I like that one of the ideas, which was to incentivize flexible working and incent incentivize or provide tax um, incentives for um, uh, multiple sources of income so that people who are carrying out more than one type of job um, can do that um, uh, in a way that doesn't penalize them in terms of tax reform. That's a big structural reform, actually. So those type of things can be introduced. And I, uh, but I, I generally and, and genuinely am of the view that uh, the budget should focus on structural reform and, and make clear that this is a government's going to stay for five years. I think that will help international investors, actually, because they will feel confident that um, they can come here now and that their investment in five, year time, five years' time um, will still be safe. Jeffrey, thanks for speaking with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology, weighing in on the sort of uh, economic reform that uh, would be helpful in the coming year as well as in the future. And so we would like to hear from you as well. We are talking about what the finance ministry should prioritize in 2023. So do weigh in. What would you like to see prioritized when it comes to our economy? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we will be focusing on um, the revised budget and what we would like to see in that regard. We'll also be going through some of your comments and messages. So keep it here, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 7.07. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. Uh, before we move on to our next guest and talk about uh, what we'd like to see from the budget, uh, we have been asking you for your thoughts on the economy. What would you like to see the ministry focus on in 2023? Do keep those thoughts coming. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have this from M who says, uh, on targeted subsidies, use AI or blockchain technology to link the household or person's income and give them the universal income. India's done that, uh, Nordic countries as well. China maps out cashless transactions and targets the demographic or geographical area to target subsidies. Just link it to income only, no other variables, lift all subsidies. So um, a couple of things really to, to pick out there. Um, firstly, the countries that you've mentioned, they do it to varying degrees and in varying models. But I am largely um, uh, very much in support of this notion of an assistive basic basic income or universal basic income, uh, which can, of course, be rolled out in various models or ways. Uh, I'm not sure, though, whether something like blockchain or AI is perhaps the only way to go. Um, I certainly don't know enough in terms of how that might work. But there are obviously also... Um, simpler perhaps ways in which this could be implemented um, but but I you know just in terms of the idea alone I very much agree I think that uh, that is one way to do away with the idea of targeted subsidies which are not only uh, controversial in many ways but as we heard our guest earlier said are likely not really to achieve the aim of helping people who need help um, while also cutting down on our overall spending uh, so I mean, it, it just remains to be seen, I think, um, whether whether this is something that people take uh, take up or see value in taking up. Anyway, do keep those thoughts coming. You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we'll be back after this with more on the economy, specifically looking at what we want to see from the budget. So keep it here on Inside Story. 
BFM 89.9. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. It is 7.12. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we're closing off our discussion on what we want to see from the Ministry of Finance in the coming year. Uh, this is, of course, part of our mini-series on resolutions for the ministries that we'd like to see implemented. Um, and so we're going to focus um, on, in the next part of the show, the upcoming tabling of the revised budget and what we'd like to see from it. So keep those thoughts coming. What would you like to see from the new budget? Uh, but also in a larger sense, what would you like to see prioritized when it comes to our economy in the coming year? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Barjoyai Bardai, an economist from University Tun Abdul Raza. Dr. Barjoyai, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Shamila. So the PM previously hinted that most of the proposals under the previous budget 2023 are very likely to be retained. Are you anticipating that this new budget will be very similar to what was previously tabled? Uh, yes, Shamila. As uh, it was uh, presented in the mini-budget, uh, it uh, implied that more than 50% of what is uh, what has been tabled in the um, earlier uh, budget uh, has been adopted. This includes all the subsidy and and uh, um, uh, um, grant given to household and 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 the use, for example. So we uh, expect that um, uh, well, the budget of the salary and pension is done, uh, and now the budget on the subsidy and grant has also been inferred and. And uh, Datuk Sri Anwar has announced that in January they will start paying. So what is left uh, is just uh, the capital expenditure budget and and uh, other uh, aspect of the uh, of the budget on the source of revenue and 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 uh, and the um, perhaps incentive for um, industry. So previously in December 1999 and February 2000, uh, we saw the yearly budget being presented in two parts because of similar electoral circumstances. Do you expect to see something like that happen this time around? Yeah, actually, it is uh, like Jidaw. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's a repeat. Uh, um, and uh, the date 25th uh, February uh, uh, is not coincident. Uh, we had... Uh, uh, um, election um, uh, in uh, 1999 parliament was dissolved on the 11 november before the budget could be approved and and so uh, after the election they had to present uh, represent the budget on the 25th of february but but that budget was presented by the same prime minister so there's no not much issue but this time around we have the same person presenting the the budget, but the the first budget was prepared by by the um, prime minister from the LA government. So there there is bound to be some changes, some differences. So, what elements of the party's uh, manifestos, as well as Pakatan Harapan's shadow budget, uh, do you expect to see being included in this revised budget? Okay, an analysis of the manifesto of both uh, Pakatan Harapan and BN shows that uh, uh, BN was uh, focusing more on the economy, whereas Pakatan Harapan uh, uh, places greater emphasis uh, on, on the social issue. Uh, so, for example, BN manifesto included some uh, aspect of federalism, clear shift from the race-based to the need-based uh, affirmative action, uh, rebuilding of the uh, pro-investment uh, um, community. Uh, and this is um, um, uh, uh, to achieve a competitive advantage uh, compared to the other country and attract foreign investment. Uh, so this complement well, actually, with the uh, with the Pakatan Harapan budget, which is uh, devoted to social development, families, youth, elderly, um, ensuring freedoms of speech and environmental protection. And, and um, of course, uh, at that uh, time when it was uh, anal analyzed, uh, uh, 
uh, analysts uh, say that it lacks the competitive strategy to to rebuild a pro investment ecosystem. But now that uh, the two uh, parties uh, running the government, we can expect both uh, budget will be uh, imputed, uh, uh, taken care in in the uh, in the budget. But um, uh, both budget um, and manifesto has actually only focus on short term because um, uh, parliament uh, will only be or government will only be for five years. So it is uh, bound to be confined to the five years. But what we expect uh, is to have uh, a longer range, a longer term uh, uh, measures perspective of, of the budget being addressed. And we hope that uh, Datuk Sri Anwar will be bold and brave enough to, to at least uh, propose some restructuring of the economy uh, this time. And he has also previously said that addressing the cost of living issues will be the, the main agenda for his administration. What kind of allocations would be most helpful here and what delivery mechanisms would ensure that these reach the communities that most need them? Yeah, um, when, uh, when he announced uh, the uh, mini budget, he has actually announced that, he, um, that the government will continue with the 2500 uh, uh, payment to the families and and uh, and and the bachelors uh, but um, i think that, that uh, may have to be uh, uh, may have to go and uh, replace with some form of income subsidy i think income subsidy is more uh, prominent in in the short term uh, that we are facing this critical year 2023 when the developed nations are going to face high inflation and and recession, so we expect that um, a, a, a price of food um, will uh, go up, and we will face all families in Malaysia will face this. So uh, there are uh, about um, between seven to ten million families, sorry, ten million um, uh, households in Malaysia that that need help. So if the government could um, um, shift that to the income support um, um, uh, subsidy, giving support maybe uh, say between 100 to 500 ringgit a month to each of this group uh, based on uh, their income level and their expenditure level. That would um, really make a difference. So Sabah and Sarawak will uh, also play a larger role in this administration than before. How might their interests and their demands affect what we see in the budget? Yeah, uh, Sabah and Sarawak has been allocated a, a huge budget compared to the other state. Um, Sabah has been allocated 6.3 billion uh, for development. Uh, Sarawak 5.4 billion. This is for water, electricity, road, health, and education. On top of that, there are um, um, budget also for the. Um, um, uh, corridor and, and the rest. So uh, we expect that this time around, uh, because we um, um, the focus is on the needy group, and we know that Sabah and Sarawak are um, among the uh, state that um, has the lower um, median and middle income. So they need help, uh, and uh, and uh, so we we expect that. Uh, a lot of those subsidy and grant will go to the Sabahan uh, household uh, and Sarawak, Sarawakian household. So, of course, this is, um, as, as uh, we've heard so much about, a unity government and we see multiple parties with multiple interests being represented. Do you foresee that this might create some kind of uh, tension or challenges when it comes to arriving at that final budget? Uh, perhaps so, but... Um, uh, I think uh, the Malaysian uh, uh, parliamentarian has uh, always been kind of sporting in in relations to budget. They they normally don't uh, don't uh, argue much about budget uh, because they want the budget to be passed uh, and and this is the the um, uh, what the rakyat want. Uh, so the rakyat want to see that the the budget is swiftly passed and then uh, after that they can debate on whatever the issue they want. 
But um, uh, I think the par parliamentarian must also try to be more proactive and um, uh, be focused on the medium and long term uh, strategy rather than just focusing on the short term. This is the the um, 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 uh, slogan that we want to drive uh, to the parliamentarian. Now, concerns around a recession have, of course, been uh, at an all-time high. What can be put in place in the budget to prepare us for that? Uh, yes, um, uh, cost of living uh, is bound to go up. And um, so we see the inflation rate in US, in uh, Europe uh, has gone beyond 10%. And that will uh, uh, definitely be uh, be um, impacted on uh, Malaysian uh, uh, because we imported over 65 billion just on food. And, and this uh, uh, price will go up at least uh, by 10%. Uh, and, and we expect uh, that government um, um, play a proactive role. And uh, today, uh, um, our issue in Malaysia is, uh, goes beyond um, the, the real price because um, uh, we also have an uh, issue of the cartel, uh, issue of uh, the um, uh, retailers uh, the, uh, uh, taking advantage of situation. So we need to address this to make sure that that price of good will not go up. I mean, uh, to, to get the price go down may be, may be very difficult, but at least to get it stabilized. And uh, in, the, in the meanwhile, I think the government must put every effort to try to increase income of the household. And uh, um, uh, to me, um, setting a minimum uh, wage of uh, 1,005 is not the answer uh, because that may um, mostly benefit the foreign workers. We need to look at the uh, the um, um, uh, workers uh, group um, uh, situation now that they are trapped uh, in the um, middle income uh, trap. They, their income cannot go up because they are they are sixty percent of them are unskilled, and and they cannot um, uh, inc uh, the the employers uh, uh, cannot uh, have reason to increase their salary. So that needs to be addressed. And that requires a massive capital investment and also effort um, uh, on the part of the government and, and the employers. Dr. Bajoy, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Samila, for inviting me. That was Dr. Barjoyai Bardai, an economist from University Tun Abdul Razak, weighing in on uh, the upcoming tabling of the revised budget in February. Uh, we've been asking you for your thoughts. Keep sending them through as well. What would you like to see the Ministry of Finance focus on when it comes to our economy? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.